Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We're switching things up a bit today. We'll be hearing from Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association. He sheds light on the key takeaways from China's biggest political meeting, what that means for U.S.-China relations going forward, and the economic impacts of it all. Gregory Copley, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Great to be back with you, Tiffany. So recently, China had their two sessions or their biggest political event, and it seems there's a lot that came out of that. So what were the biggest takeaways you took from it? Well, not necessarily what the Communist Party of China wanted us to take away from it. Uh, the, the Communist Party uh, view was that there would be possibly 5 percent growth in GDP uh, in 2023, that there would be a 7.2 percent increase in defense spending. Uh, and that the economy was moving back into, shall we say, pre-pandemic levels of, of growth and employment and the like. I think none of these factors should be taken at, uh, uh, or claims should be taken at face value. Uh, firstly, any uh, economic growth which the uh, Communist Party is expecting or is claiming to, to uh, it will achieve this year is going to be based on massive injections of debt. Uh, they're going to have to borrow money to, uh, to, to basically fund all forms of, uh, of growth. There's no evidence that the private sector itself is stimulating growth or that there is a growth in consumer demand. Quite the contrary. People are very, very gun-shy after the events of the last couple of years and are not spending in the way in which the Communist Party had projected. So. Uh, the stimulation of the economy is going to come by more debt money flowing into the economy for various projects. Nonetheless, the, uh, the major sectors of the economy, and particularly the property sector, looks unlikely to revive. At best, uh, the Communist Party will be able to get a, a softer landing. But what we saw from all of the indicators was something which we predicted, and I think we predicted it on, on, uh, on your show a couple of years ago, was the fact that the Communist Party is, is moving under Xi's direction back into that approach which would be a circular economy or, or an internal circulation economy. In other words, China under the Communist Party now hopes that its internal marketplace will be enough to stimulate economic growth and, and operations because its exports have, have plummeted, its imports are going to be restricted, and so now it must rely on stimulating that internal market. Uh, and there's no evidence that it can do that. But its best hope for survival economically and strategically is that it does develop an internal circulation market. It was in July 2021 that we talked about this as, as looking like where she was going with the economy. Uh, now, the problem with that is that the People's Republic of China still cannot avoid the massive cost of importing food. Uh, it is, as we've said on many occasions, it's existentially dependent on imported food to a greater degree than any historical empire since the collapse of Rome. So. It, it needs that food mainly from the United States, but also from Europe, Australia, Brazil and the like, but particularly from the United States. So it's still going to have to import food. So it can't rely entirely on its internal economy. GDP growth, uh, you can claim what you like on that. GDP, gross domestic product, is, is a measure of the economy, 
but it's only a measure really of transactions within the economy. So you can create artificial transactions to show GDP growth, but it doesn't mean you, you're gaining an economic strength. So, so China is basically in a very, very weak economic position. It's still going to have to uh, spend a lot of its hard-earned hard foreign exchanges uh, currency on food and energy. It's been very fortunate because the Ukraine war meant that Russia has uh, lost a lot of its markets and is now being forced, in a sense, to sell uh, energy and food to the People's Republic of China uh, at, at tug and basement prices. So this is going to help Xi Jinping, but it's not going to be enough. Now, of course, the, they moved to the, the uh, defence expenditure, increasing it by 7.2%, and that's very substantial. Uh, the reality is that we don't know what the total uh, defence spending is by the People's Republic of China. Uh, it's certainly much more than the, the official headline figures, which are going to be about $225 billion this year. It could be as, as much as double that. And uh, what China's or the People's Republic of China's aggression has done in the last year or so has been to panic its neighbours, particularly Japan, Vietnam and India, to the point where they are increasing their defence spending. And that, of course, is having yet another uh, reactive effect on, on Beijing, which uh, feels that it has to move even more rapidly on defence spending. This is not really helping the Chinese economy. Uh, so essentially, what we've seen with the two sessions is the Communist Party trying to put a positive spin on matters. They're saying, yes, growth is going to be lower than we wanted, but it's still going to be 5%. We are going to get massive employment. We are going to have an internal uh, marketplace which will stimulate uh, industrial growth and the like. But all of these things are very, very speculative, very, very fragile. Uh, and uh, we're not seeing the internal uh, conditions moving in the right direction to improve food production or, in fact, the confidence of the public in, in, in uh, spending money. It does seem, you know, um, Xi Jinping tapped for mentally the country's economy and they're seen as loyalists. They've never studied abroad. So there is concern, especially with foreign investors, on how that's going to impact, say, investing in the country. And we did have, say, the billionaire Mobius coming out and saying he's having trouble removing money from the country. And even some Chinese nationals living abroad are running into that. So how do you see that front maybe changing or staying the same going forward? Well, uh, Xi Jinping is going to have to do a lot to uh, restore confidence from the foreign invest uh, investing community. Uh, as you say, there, there's difficulty in getting money out of, uh, of the PRC economy to repatriate funds from foreign investors. Uh, it's, there's difficulty in, in Chinese uh, individuals being able to move currencies abroad, although people are still attempting to do that in a desperate way. Uh, so. What you've got are a lot of foreign major investors in the PRC who are staring at the reality that they may never get their funds out of, of uh, the PRC in much the same way as those people who invested in the railway bonds during the Qing dynasty had, have not yet been able to get their, their money back from, from the Chinese government. So. Uh, what these major foreign firms are now having to do is to nominally appear to support 
the the fiction that there is a, a Chinese mainland economic resurgence underway, and to a degree there is. It's but it's it's a small modest uh, rise from a very very deep base caused by the the whole uh, pandemic uh, situation and the zero COVID lockdowns. So uh, yes, there's, there are some indicators which foreign companies are clinging to so that it doesn't appear to their shareholders that they have lost all of their investment money, whether it's pension funds or investment fund uh, allocations. So it, it's it, the there's a, a, a global fiction abroad at the moment, which is that the economy in the People's Republic of China is in for a soft landing. Uh, it, it's not going to be that soft. It's going to be uh, one which has worldwide ramifications because it will cut into the the pension funds, particularly of, of uh, people around the world, but particularly uh, uh, retirees in the United States. And Gregory, sticking with the speech, it seems China Xi Jinping for the first time took direct aim at the United States. He was calling Washington-led containment, encirclement and suppression for the country's internal issues. So is this just talk or is China actually gearing up for something? Well, there's no question that uh, a lot of the masks are coming off, both in Washington and in Beijing. Uh, there's no question that Beijing cannot anymore ignore the reality that uh, the United States has uh, has put itself in a very strong position by limiting uh, computer chip uh, production and availability uh, for the People's Republic of China. Uh, and Beijing will have to do something about that. The question is what it can do. Uh, there's, been a lot, there's been a lot of talk about the feasibility of a of a breakout military action against the West, largely by an invasion of Taiwan by the People's Liberation Army. Uh, that uh, has been the, uh, the cause for a lot of wargaming exercises to take place in the West to see whether that would be feasible. Uh, it certainly would be a very risky affair for Beijing to undertake. Uh, and uh, as a result, the, Beijing knows that if it attempts anything like that, it would have to confront Vietnam uh, and India, as well as uh, Taiwan, Japan, the United States and Australia, in, uh, in particular those countries. Uh, so the People's Republic of China has been looking at options as to what its breakout uh, could could look like, what their options are in, uh, if you like, defeating the West. Because again, as we said a few years ago, uh, Xi Jinping has realized that his ability to outgrow the West, and particularly the United States, to outgrow it economically and strategically is now very, very difficult. So he must resort to uh, undermining the economic and strategic base of his adversaries, particularly the United States. So the view is if China cannot grow strategically enough to defeat the West, then the West must be reduced by uh, indirect means, economically, politically, and so on, so that they be, the West becomes uh, economically uh, deprived and politically unstable. And so that's really the, the very, very poor option base which Xi Jinping has available to him. That was Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association. And after a break, we hear more from him on how China's defense spending increases have put neighboring countries on high alert, what activities we're seeing inside China, and where all of this might lead.
that and more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We continue our coverage with Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association. He sheds light on how China's defense spending increases have put neighboring countries on high alert, what activities we're seeing inside China, and where all of this might lead. Where do you see the trajectory of the U.S.-China relation going forward? What are the maybe the changes that might happen? Well, even uh, the U.S. Biden administration, which was very, very accommodating to Beijing, was hopeful of a rapprochement, hopeful that there, there could be a restoration uh, of the status quo ante, in other words, before President Trump uh, came on the scene. And to, to see the U.S. And, and the PRC as, in a sense, partners, that's now fallen away. Uh, President Biden, uh, although he is uh, as moderate as he can be in terms of his discussion of the PRC, has nonetheless allowed his administration to take very, very strong action to curb the rise of the PRC. So, uh, uh, so it's no surprise now that, uh, that Xi Jinping and the Communist Party of China are uh, coming out with uh, stronger and stronger statements. The question as to where this can lead is, is anyone's guess. The reality is that if logic prevails, then it will not break into open conflict because it's clear that although everyone would suffer, the Communist Party of China would be destroyed by such a major breakout, such as an attack on, on Taiwan, which would result in a broader war. So uh, that would anything like that would have to be a very desperate act on the part of Xi Jinping. So what then are his options? The primary option is bluster. Uh, we saw it in the earlier version as wolf warrior diplomacy, where you would uh, attempt to browbeat your your adversaries around the world and make them feel uh, as though they had to comply with Beijing's wishes. That bluff has been called, and a lot of countries, take for example Australia, which had been very, very pro-Beijing, uh, but uh, would not back down when Beijing attempted to coerce it with this uh, bullying uh, diplomatic rhetoric. So the bluff of, of Beijing has been called to a large degree. Uh, we're seeing even the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is should be confined to the uh, the, the western of the Eurasian uh, continent, they're talking about strategies to assist in the containment of the People's Republic of China. Uh, not that that's even necessary at this stage because the, the Quad powers, the AUKUS uh, uh, combine and, and ANZUS, the Australian, New Zealand, US treaty, all of those are uh, well and truly sufficient to contain the PRC militarily, uh, even with the, the PRC now planning on multiple front options. You know, would it conduct a, a simultaneous uh, military operation against Taiwan, Vietnam, and uh, and India, knowing that this would lead to a further expansion engaging Japan, Australia, and the United States. It, it, it's not a good outlook for the, the Communist Party of China at this stage. The question is, how and when does the Communist Party of China implode? 
And Gregory, earlier you mentioned with, say, China's own defense spending increases, a lot of neighboring countries are also reacting. And it seems inside China we have local media reporting saying that, you know, there's these defense mobilization offices being set up across the country in Xiamen, which is the closest one to Taiwan. There's this emergency alert system to tell people where to go to bunkers in case there is an invasion. Where do you see this going and how should the U.S. be responding right now? Well, the, the great fear, of course, is that uh, Xi Jinping will recognize that the, the longer he, he waits, the more Taiwan and its allies will be prepared to meet a, a, a mainland invasion. So he could be tempted to move sooner rather than later. Uh, not that the signs of success for that are, are, are positive either, uh, but he runs the risk of uh, talking himself into doing something uh, because of these mobilization and so on. We've seen mobilizations of various types in the past on the mainland, uh, largely when the government needs to, uh, or the Communist Party needs a, a, a scapegoat. So you'd have all these um, Massive panics about Japan and so on, and, and anger at Japan, and so you 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 look at ways of blaming the outside world for internal problems. Uh, the the danger is make or the danger is that this could get out of hand. Uh, there's also the po probability that a lot of people within the PLA leadership, the People's Liberation Army leadership, uh, would be very very anxious if. Xi Jinping uh, tried to uh, take a, an overseas initiative such as one against Vietnam or Taiwan or, or India. That's really something that the PLA, I think, does not feel ready for uh, right now. So it's, uh, but it is a, it is a, an unstable situation, largely because power is concentrated in the hands, more or less, of a single leader, which is something that Xi Jinping wanted. He wanted to eliminate all of his rivals. Now, however, uh, he has no uh, flexibility, no fluidity, uh, no uh, depth, if you like, in, in, the, in the leadership structure. So uh, it becomes unstable. Uh, the question is, what can he do to recover? And as we said a couple of years ago and again today, reviving the economy through reviving the internal market is going to be his primary drive. Uh, he will start to increasingly blame the United States and other uh, outside forces for China's woes, which will uh, account, if you like, for the fact that the standard of living and even the, the food supply to the Chinese population is, is declining. Uh, now, uh, he, he will, I think, uh, well, we will see a great decline in the standard of living and, uh, and even the uh, survival levels of great numbers of people in, in China. Uh, Xi Jinping will blame that on outside forces, and he's already started to do so with his rhetoric at the two sessions, or the party's rhetoric at the two sessions, uh, blaming the United States for the problems and the like. So finding someone to blame is, is key. What you do about it is, is another matter altogether. But Xi Jinping, I think, is prepared to see large sections of the Chinese population suffer, suffer and perhaps even starve. Uh, just as Mao Zedong did. So uh, we have to expect that, and that's going to cause uh, major problems for the world 
uh, even if it doesn't result in the PLA being used to start another war. What should the U.S. be doing to maybe make sure this doesn't transpire? It's critical that the United States and its allies show real resolve in letting Xi Jinping know that an open war is not an option which is viable, and showing that an open war is something that he absolutely will lose and it will cost him his party and probably his life. So the United States needs to uh, demonstrate a greater physical commitment to supporting the Taiwanese uh, Republic of China forces. Uh, and um, and that, that's, that's something that can happen. The United States is starting to put a few uniformed personnel onto Taiwan. This is very important. Uh, other countries, such as Australia, must show more open support militarily for Taiwan, just as Japan has done. All of those factors essentially tell the Communist Party of China, well, an invasion of Taiwan is not an option. That can be done, uh, and, it, and it is starting to be done, a little too slowly, I would think, but it is happening, uh, and the resolve is, is starting to appear. We're also seeing... Uh, that the, the one great thing which was saving Beijing, which was the Ukraine-Russia war, which distracted the United States into providing uh, massive amounts of money and military equipment to Ukraine, uh, is now, in a sense, on a downward uh, slope. So uh, the U.S. military and the strategic community are once again fully focused on the Indo-Pacific and the only thing that's uh, being sent to uh, to, to Ukraine now, apart from a few old tanks, is going to be uh, a lot of uh, rhetoric. So that war uh, is no longer going to be the thing which saves uh, Beijing from, uh, from the attentions of the U.S. defense planners. Well, Gregory, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Tiffany. That was Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you soon.